Welcome, everybody, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Podcast. I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Hall of Fame. Uh, Here on the Hall Call Podcast, we like to highlight the interesting individuals and stories that make sports in Virginia so special. Unfortunately, not every story has a happy ending. Uh, We lost one of the greats back on July 15th when Purnell Sweet P. Whitaker was killed in an auto-pedestrian crash in Virginia Beach. Uh, We take great pride here in Virginia in the sports figures that the state has produced, and Sweet P. Whitaker was up there with the absolute best and most accomplished. Uh, He was an amateur boxing champion and a 1984 Olympic gold medalist, a world champion in four different weight divisions, a 2007 International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, and a 2011 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee. Sweet P., I think, was a champion in every sense of the word. Now, Sweet Pea Whitaker was born and raised in Norfolk, Virginia, but his impact and reach went well beyond our borders. Uh, We are pleased to be joined today by someone who covered Sweet Pea and who has done a wonderful job of telling his story over the years, Ed Miller from the Virginian Pilot. Ed, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Will. For those who haven't had the chance, get on over to pilotonline.com and read Ed's articles about Sweet Pea and some of the work he's done. Uh, Ed, what was your first interaction with Sweet Pea many, many years ago? I would say it was uh, when he was uh, here locally, he used to hold uh, training camps in Virginia Beach, and he'd fight occasionally uh, in the area, sometimes at Scope, sometimes at the Virginia Beach Pavilion. So although I wasn't on the beat then, I did interact with him a few times uh, before I became the uh, beat writer. Now, you covered him closely, but in the in the days and now weeks since his passing, has anything surprised you regarding the, you know, the outpouring of support? Is there something that you didn't know about Sweet Pea that you've heard? I would have to say probably not. Uh, having been around him quite a bit, there was uh, nothing, you know, I was at the funeral. I, I talked to some people. There wasn't anything that I really said, wow, you know, I didn't know that. Um, it was just more of a a real outpouring of affection and respect for someone who really was the major league franchise in this part of the state for quite a while. Well, you mentioned that. And, you know, one thing about Sweet Pea, and I'm, I'm 36. So he was, he was at his peak when I was kind of in that middle school, high school transition. And, but I remember, I remember these fights. I remember him vividly. And I remember begging my parents back in the day, you know, can we please get the pay-per-view? And sometimes it was successful. Sometimes it wasn't. But when you look at, he actually held some of his title fights here in Virginia. You know, boxing is so focused on what used to be Atlantic City and now Las Vegas. Talk about his connection to this area. Yes, he fought quite a few times, like I mentioned, over at Scope at the Virginia Beach Pavilion. I believe he won his first world title in Hampton at the Hampton Coliseum. So although he really could have fought anywhere, he was a guy that took great pride in being from Norfolk and Hampton Roads in Virginia. Uh, And he really uh, wanted to, to shine a light here uh, you know, for the benefit of everyone. And it really, I wouldn't say it put the area on the map cause you know, this is an old area. Uh, but it certainly raised the profile of the area, uh, across the country and around the world to know that this guy was from Norfolk, Virginia. Before I ever, uh, met Sweet Pea, I recall watching the 84 Olympics and seeing this guy from Norfolk, Virginia. And I thought, oh, okay, it's interesting. I wasn't living here then. But I knew of Norfolk, and it, you know, it certainly raised the uh, awareness of the area for me. 
Talk about his style of fighting. Uh, you know, he he wasn't a knockout specialist. You know, he was a, he was a bit on the smaller side, being in the light and the welterweight divisions. But his goal was not to get hit. I think that that seems to be the common consensus is he was not going to get hit, but he was going to pound the, his opponent's body and wear him down. Who did his, who does his style, uh, I guess, past or present most closely resemble? This was a lot before my time, but I was told by some older boxing people and boxing historians that he was most reminiscent of Willie Pep, who was a uh, lightweight, I believe lightweight. I may be speaking out of turn here. Uh, fighter back in the uh, earlier days and a guy who was really a defensive master. So Whitaker's whole approach was, I'll hit you, you can't hit me. He wasn't one of these guys that was going to take two punches to get one in, which some fighters uh, will do that. He was a guy that was really a wizard, kind of a magician. He could stand right in front of you. You couldn't hit him. Um, I once wrote he was harder to hit than a lottery jackpot. It was just that difficult to get a clean shot at him. So he really was able to use that style to his advantage. I think Floyd Mayweather is a modern fighter that people have compared uh, to Whitaker. I don't know that Floyd was any better at his defensive prowess than Purnell was. There are certainly people that study boxing a lot more closely than I do who thought Whitaker was just one of the best ever uh, in that part of the ring, or in that part of the uh, the skill set. Well, what's amazing is when you when you bring up a name like Floyd Mayweather. Obviously, that's the most topical current name, and you know people put him in the greatest fighter of all time category. You know, at at Sweet Peas Peak, he was obviously in the conversation, if not headlining the conversation of pound for pound best in the world. Which, as a boxer, there's really nothing. There's really no higher honor in terms of pay per view value and dollars. What would he be looking at in today's in today's world if he was still fighting? I think he could make a lot of money. He made a lot in his own time. Um, boxing was a little more of a mainstream sport then. It was more commonly covered in the newspaper. You'd see it in Sports Illustrated. Uh, HBO really was uh, the venue that, uh, or the platform that Whitaker used for years. He was really kind of their main attraction for the better part of a decade. Some of these mega fights now are really, really rich. If he had gotten into that category, you know, the sky's the limit for what he could have made. Now, the the counterpoint to that would be that some people who weren't boxing purists may have preferred to see just a more straight-ahead slugging approach. Uh, Purnell was a practitioner of the sweet science, and I think people that really appreciated his skills really enjoyed him. Other people may not have much, so he would have had to be matched, I think, against someone who was a counterpoint to him. And I, I could think of Julio Cesar Chavez, which in its day was the biggest fight of the year, if not you know, certainly part of the decade when he fought him in San Antonio in 1993. That was just a big, huge deal. Chavez was undefeated. People thought he was invincible. And Whitaker pretty thoroughly beat him, although he did not get the decision, as we all know. He was, uh, it was, Sports Illustrated had a cover that said he was robbed. So I think that was the consensus among a lot of boxing fans. And I even talked to some people. I was not at that fight. It was before I really started covering him. But we had several people from the Virginian pilot who were there. And they told me even the local fans in San Antonio conceded that Whitaker had won that fight. 
Well, and and for those who who might not remember, he actually won one of the cards, and the other two were draws. So technically, it was labeled as a majority draw, even though he won the only card that actually had a decision. Correct? You know, I didn't have that level of detail. I didn't recall <laughs> that. So, well, you're, yeah, you're telling me something I didn't remember, but that sounds right to me. I think, as I said, the consensus was that he beat. Chavez, he was fighting in Chavez's backyard, of course, in San Antonio in front of a hostile crowd. And there was never a rematch. I'm not sure if that was somebody's thinking that we'll, you know, call this a draw, we'll get a rematch, we'll make more money. But it goes down in history as one of those boxing decisions that just doesn't really uh, add up. Boxing sure has its share of controversy. And when you look at some of his, he, he had four, I think, professional losses but two of those very high profile uh, and, and a draw, excuse me, one of them was very high profile and then the draw. So two decisions that could have gone the other way, one to Chavez and the other to Oscar De La Hoya. If he gets both of those as wins instead of a loss and a draw, where do you think that does to his legacy? I think it obviously only enhances it. He's already considered one of the greatest fighters of his era, one of the, as you mentioned, the pound for pound recognized uh, fighter in his day and one of the greatest lightweights of all time i think it would only add to that you know those accolades uh he was a first ballot hall of famer so there wasn't a lot more he could have done but those two fights as you mentioned were were very controversial the de la hoya fight a lot of people also thought he won uh and i remember watching that i was actually in uh arkansas covering something else watching it in a uh, sports bar and thinking, wow, this was a great fight. Whitaker won. And then, of course, you know, seeing a decision again. Boxing has a way of doing that. Boxing has a way of ruining it. Yeah, Yeah. sometimes. (laughs) You know, one of the one of the articles that you uh, that you wrote after Sweet Pea passed away is you talked about how covering a boxer is unlike any other sport. It's not the same as being a, a team's beat writer in one of the four professional sports. The access that the journalists are granted is unprecedented. That being said, you know, Sweet Pea wasn't the Muhammad Ali or the Sugar Ray Leonard, as, as you mentioned. He wasn't out there pointing the spotlight on him. When you were covering him or entrenched with his camp, what were you looking for from him? You're always looking for just these moments of humanity to see who the person is of something, I wouldn't say unguarded, but certainly something that's not as uh, scripted as you'd get in a normal media uh, athlete interaction. So it just if you hang around long enough, you'll see some of those moments. Try to get to know the person. Try to convey who he is a little bit to his fans, to the readers, to the people back here in Norfolk and even around the country and around the world. Boxing, as you mentioned, it does have a long tradition of promotion. They really wanted to promote their fights back in the day, so there were always a lot of newspaper people hanging around whoever uh, was the fighter at the time, whether it was Jack Dempsey, Joe Lewis, all the way up to Muhammad Ali, and of course into the 90s and early 2000s when when Whitaker was around. So it definitely is a lot different from a lot of other sports where your access is more controlled, and there's usually people around whose job is not really to facilitate your access, but to sort of be gatekeepers. Talk about one of those, or one or two of those moments that, that really stood out to you in your time covering him. What, what was one of the, the unguarded humanity moments that, that you can share with us? 
Well, I would say, unfortunately, it was his last fight, which took place out in Lake Tahoe, right on the border between Nevada and California. And I went out there for a couple days before the fight. And then, of course, I was at the fight. Didn't go well for Whitaker. He was injured. He hurt his shoulder early in the fight. And he continued fighting for a couple more rounds until he just couldn't go anymore. So he was taken to the emergency room after the fight. So I had come all the way out there from the Virginian pilot and thought, well, I'd better really try to talk to him, you know, if they sent me all the way out here. So I asked where he was. They said he's at the hospital. I drove out there, walked to the emergency room and asked if Pernell Whitaker was there. And the woman said, well, all the boxers are here. I waited a while for him. He came out and seemed generally glad to see me. I asked him if he had a ride back to the casino where he was staying. He said he didn't. This was before the days of Uber or anything like that. So I said, well, I got a rental car. Why don't you ride along? So so I did, and we talked on the way. I think it might have been a 10- or 15-minute drive. He told me he was hanging up his gloves. He was retiring. So that's something that, you know, I always remember about Whitaker uh, as a, you know, as a moment uh, when it was really just the two of us just talking more as, you know, I wouldn't say friends really, but we were friendly than the typical media interaction. Yeah. Having that, that sort of relationship, like you said, just through the the nature of the coverage of the sport can provide those moments. And that's a, that's a really unique moment that I, I know you also shared in some of the, in one of the columns that you wrote for, um, for the pilot. Now, you know, Sweet Pea obviously was not a man free from personal strife. He definitely had his demons. Did his run-ins with the law or his public challenges change how he was viewed in the public eye? I think they did for some people. Certainly they did people that may have been inclined to look skeptically at someone like Whitaker or any athlete who achieves a great deal of fame and they're looking for kinks in the armor, things to kind of bring them down to earth. So yes, I think for some people it did. I think for others it didn't matter. They just viewed him as human, someone who had his problems like most of us do, many of us do and did what he could to try to overcome them. He did have a rough time after he left the ring. He obviously did some time in jail for drug possession. He had a few other run-ins, mainly a lot of traffic violations, things like that. So certainly he was a flawed guy, but I don't think it it takes away from the impact he had in the area and certainly in the sport of boxing. In his retirement years, obviously, he had he had been back in the area of pretty much at least through while he was fighting and then now in retirement. Did you have much interaction with him in the later years? I know that he was, you know, kind of going around to some of the gyms and helping some local fighters. Did you do much with him then? I did for a while. There was a period where he was training some fighters, including some local guys, and I would see him from time to time. I remember there was a fight in Portsmouth years ago over at the Renaissance Hotel when we were when people in the area were really trying to revive boxing, I always, I would always hear that from people. They'd call me and say, we really need to get boxing going in the area. <laughs> no one's really been able to do it since, but I did see Whitaker from time to time. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years before he passed. I think maybe the last time I really spoke to him at length was during the Pacquiao, right before the Pacquiao Mayweather fight, just to kind of get his take on it. I thought it'd be good to, to hear what he had to say. 
and he broke down the fight. And of course, he mentioned he thought neither one of those guys could have hung with him. So, uh, <laughs> Once a boxer, was, always a boxer. Yeah, he was entitled <laughs> to that opinion. I think he, you know he was a guy when in his era, the best fighters fought each other, and they really fought in their primes. Unlike when Mayweather and Pacquiao got together, I think either neither one of them it would be fair to say was in their prime at that time. They were both in their late 30s, so it was a fight that probably should have happened quite a bit earlier. It didn't. Whitaker fought the best in his day when they were at the top of their game and he was at the top of his. So really it was it was a different kind of thing in boxing in those days. You you mentioned it and I think there's a on on Pilot Online there's actually a list of kind of his marquee fights and when you look at the names obviously Chavez, De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad, I mean he was putting he was putting his best out there against the best. Um you know, I, and I think you can tell a lot by an individual's impact by how their peers view them. And and in the the days and weeks following his death, you know, you've seen Mike Tyson reach out, you've seen HBO Sports reach out, Floyd Mayweather reach out. You know, have you have you had a chance to talk to any other boxing professionals, whether they're fighters, whether trainers, just people in the sport, to to really get a view of how they view him? I talked to a few just in the the course of doing the uh, stories before I had to, to go off and do something else for a few days. But sadly, a lot of the people I used to talk to with regard to Whitaker are like Lou Duva, Bert mm-hmm. Sugar, Larry Merchant are no longer with us. So there are a few people left who, who saw him in his prime, certainly a lot of people. But he was just well-regarded, as I said, in the fight community. People that really knew the game really respected what he did, and I think a lot of that came out in, you know, in the wake of his passing, you know, boxing has kind of a unique connection to America and its and its sporting, you know, uh, legacy, uh, kind of like baseball to a certain generation. And that might be because of the record books go back further than a lot of other uh, a lot of other sports. And, you know, boxing would be front page of The New York Times in the early 1900s. And, and same with baseball. There's also been quite a, a few controversies with boxing, and we already spoke about how that may have robbed Sweet Pea of a couple of victories. How is history going to remember Pernell Sweet Pea Whitaker? I think it'll remember him as one of the best boxers of a really vibrant era in the sport in the 1990s, late 80s, early 90s. As I mentioned, boxing was a much more mainstream sport then. I think it's more of a niche sport now. And it may have been some of its own doing, pay-per-view really I think took away a lot of the widespread access for boxing as kids like yourself who had to beg your parents to pay whatever it was you know 49 or 50 dollars to watch uh, these fights back in the uh, 20 years ago it wasn't available on tv as much like friday night fights back in the day but I think Whitaker will you know he's already been uh, enshrined in the hall of fame and it was a big deal to him. It really mattered a lot to him. I was not really surprised to, to hear that, but I thought, well, you don't really need this. And, you know, the Boxing Hall of Fame is not as widespread you know, or well-known as, say, the Baseball Hall of Fame or the Football Hall of Fame. But in their sport, it's just as big a deal. And boxing is a worldwide sport, unlike some others. So you really get people from all over the globe who participate, who follow it. So it's not like the NFL or, well, the NBA is increasingly international, but most of our major sports are, are dominated by Americans where boxing really 
especially these days, you've got guys from all over the world, a lot of Latin fighters, a lot of Russian fighters. So really, you've got to be the best in the world at what you do. It's not just a matter of being the best in your country. So I think his legacy there is pretty secure and unassailable. How dialed in had he been? I know you mentioned that post-retirement he'd been doing a little bit here, but uh, you know the one of the gyms in Norfolk is now going to put his name on it. How dialed in was he with that local boxing community? And, and as you mentioned, kind of in quotation marks, trying to revive boxing here in, in Hampton Roads and then potentially Virginia. I think he was somewhat involved. I don't think it was anyone would say that he was leading the effort or leading the charge. He did some appearances. He did promotions. He did apparently recently had been training some local fighters funny you know i seem to recall he didn't really enjoy watching boxing too much he he wasn't a guy who was going to sit and watch a bunch of fights he wasn't going to pay the pay-per-view right yeah probably <laughs> not but and i think that may be with with some athletes you know he was such a master at it that he may not have been uh enjoyed you know watching lesser people fight but i know that he uh was trying to get back in the game I believe there was a picture from with him and Floyd Mayweather just a few days before he passed away. So he would make appearances. You know, he trained some fighters here and there. He wasn't doing it on a full-time basis, but he was staying in it. And, you know, who knows what he might have done if he'd lived longer. Obviously, you know, being uh, his life cut short at a pretty young age of 55. Well, he truly is, you know, as a as a Virginia native myself and, and a Norfolk native, you know, I, I remember Sweet Pea vividly, as I mentioned, and he's definitely, if not on it, he's in the conversation for the Mount Rushmore of Virginia sports. And, and Ed, we appreciate uh, you joining us today. And, and as I mentioned, if you haven't had the chance, get over to pilotonline.com, all of the articles talking about Sweet Pea's legacy, and uh, even some of the articles uh, from, from uh, post fights uh, are posted. And so if you get a chance, please get over and read that. So Ed, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Will. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, I'll actually finish with one story about Sweet Pea that was told to me through our uh, our former executive director at the Hall of Fame, Eddie Webb. Eddie and Sweet Pea went to lunch uh, a few years ago. And as they're going from place to place, maybe walking into the, the lunch spot, everybody keeps looking at Sweet Pea and saying, hey, champ, hey, champ, how you doing, champ? And Eddie looked at Sweet Pea and said, they still call you champ, huh? And Sweet Pea looked back at him and said, why wouldn't they? And I think that sums up uh, Pernell Sweet Pea Whitaker in a nutshell. He was a champ. He was definitely a champion. He was Norfolk's champ. He was Virginia's champion. And uh, he'll always be a champion in our minds. And we, uh, we hope the best for his family moving forward. And, uh, and rest in peace to the 2011 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Hall Call podcast. I'd like to thank Ed Miller from the Virginian Pilot for joining us today to reflect on the life and career of a boxing and Virginia sports legend, Pernell Sweet P. Whitaker. As always, if you like what you heard, please like and follow the Hall Call podcast on SoundCloud. You can also find the most recent episodes on our website, www.vasportshof.com, and on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at VA Sports HOF. I'd like to thank ESPN Radio 94.1 WVSPFM for their support, as well as Thomas Simmons, our executive producer. Until next time, I am Will Driscoll, and this has been the Hall Call Podcast.